Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris. And I just want to say Merry Christmas. We find ourselves in our third week of our message series entitled, Come and See, as we're exploring the depths of the incarnation. If you are here in the DFW Metroplex, I want to invite you uh, to come and be a part of one of our Christmas Eve services. We're going to start on the 22nd, that's Wednesday, at 6 p.m. Then on the 23rd, we'll gather together at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. And then on Christmas Eve itself, 24th, we'll gather at 2, 4, and 6 p.m. I'm telling you, we have some incredible things planned, and you're going to want to be here. So if you can get here, get here. You know, what does the world have too much of? When you think about it, the world has a whole lot of opinions, doesn't it? Uh, Some of those opinions... Uh, We find in social media, some of them we find, you know, in the locker room or the water cooler. I mean, the bottom line is this. If you have four people, there's five opinions, right? Um, I I think practically speaking in the area in which I live, maybe this is true where you are, uh, we really have four things that we just seem to have an abundance of. We have a lot of nail salons. uh, We have a lot of oil change places. We have a lot of donut shops. We have a lot of places that sell chicken fingers, you know? Uh, None of those things are inherently bad. In fact, hey, if you own one of those things, I've probably eaten your donuts, had my oil changed, got my nails done, and ate your chicken fingers. But the bottom line is this. The world is lacking some things. And I would say this. As we look at our world today, if you're not careful, you will miss the majesty of Christmas and the Incarnation because you'll forget to be joyful. You see, joy is missing in our world. In fact, one of the greatest Christmas carols that we sing every year is joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And if that's the case, can I ask you this question? Why are people not as joyful as they should be? You know, the the word joy literally means this. It's joy is the delight in God's work in you. And I would just tell you this. If we're going to delight in God's work in us, we have to understand it's different than happiness. Don't ever confuse joy and happiness. You see, joy is found in something and someone bigger than yourself, but happiness is something that is completely circumstantial. You know, if the market's up, if things are going good at home, man, if your health is well, then we can be happy. In fact, I would say this. If you're a person who does not know Christ, the greatest thing you can ever aspire to is simply to be happy. But if you know Jesus... If you know him personally, then you're the, the greatest thing you can experience and that you should strive for is this thing called joy. And I would just say this, you know, Christians, if you're listening to me, then why would, why would a lost person ever want what we have if we don't exude something different in our lives? I mean, how we handle setbacks, how we handle illness, how we handle just the stresses and the problems that come with this world. J.I. Packer said this, a joyless Christianity will become an obstacle to believing the truth and will hinder the faith, repulse, or will render the faith repulsive rather than attractive. However, a joyful Christianity is the most arresting advertisement for the transforming power of the gospel. So all the people, so all who hope to cut ice with as a witness for Christ will do well to study the art of joy as a part of their spiritual preparation. The joy that gives Christians credibility also gives them energy. You see, it's joy that causes you to experience God's strength. And uh, so here's the thing about it. How do we experience this? You see, the reason we don't have more joy is because we don't really understand how to unlock 
joy. And I would tell you that right here in the Christmas story found in Luke's Gospel chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, we see three things that help us unpack this joy-filled life. Uh, begin reading with me when it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out on the, in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Hey, when an angel shows up in a pasture, I imagine you get pretty scared. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, and you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with a great uh, an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those in whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away uh, from them into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I have one point just simply to drive with you today, and it's simply this, joy to the world. Say it with me, joy to the world. You see, joy to the world. I'm going to give you three keys to unlocking joy this Christmas in your life. So the first is this, joy to the world, because joy is found on the other side of the hard right thing. Translation, joy is found in obedience. You know, it's getting harder and harder to do the right thing, isn't it? Uh, and, and, and yet we see right here in verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing which happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. You see, the angels pronounced to these shepherds that this is joy. And this is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. But yet, for them to experience this joy, don't you realize they had to obey? They had to do the hard right thing. I mean, here are these shepherds that were out in this field. Their, their livelihood is found in this flock that's around them. You got to understand, I mean, that was a big deal just to abandon the flock to go and do this hard right thing. And I say that to you because don't you understand that to the degree that obedience is increasing in you, so will your joy. You see, joy is the byproduct of obedience. Um, and, and the greater the obedience, the greater the joy. You know, my fear is this. We've dumbed Christianity way, way down. In fact, we've kind of made Christianity this. Well, when did you pray the prayer? When did you trust Christ? So we pray a prayer and we ask Jesus to come in our life. And we kind of just figure that we're going to, after that, just sort of live and kind of exist. And we're going to somehow survive. And then one day we're going to die and we're going to go to heaven. And I would simply say to you this, when Jesus came to the planet, Jesus came to the planet to invade the earth with joy. In fact, Jesus is about to leave and, and he prays a high priestly prayer in John 17 for his followers. He says, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So what he's saying is this. 
He said that our experience on planet Earth ought to be joy-filled. We ought to be pleased with the work that God is doing us. And how do you tap into it? You tap into it in obedience. Let me tell you something. It ought to be winsome. You know, if you've been around me at all, here's what you know. And some of you from a distance, you don't know me. But I love to laugh. Like, I love to have fun. If I'm with a group of people, wherever I'm at, I think it ought to be the most fun. If I go with a group of people to a restaurant, I mean, I think our table ought to be the rowdiest. We ought to be having the most fun. Why? Because we're, we're people full of joy. We're people because we're, we're, we're following God's call. And we're call, following His decrees. And from that, there's just this exuberance that comes with joy. You know, I have a, a couple of friends uh, one's named Scott, and the other's named Eddie. And a few weeks back, uh, we all were a part of a stand-up comedy class. Now, I know some pa- some people say, well, your pastor shouldn't be going to like comedy co- clubs and learning how to tell jokes. Well, I did. And uh, let me just tell you this about this class. I love the class. It was really great. Great cross-section of people. But here's what I found to be true. Here we are, three, three pastors, three ministers, um, three people who, you know, probably wouldn't people wouldn't think would fit in that scene. And the reality is this: there were some people in here who were kind of funny, but the, but but truthfully, we were some of the funniest ones. You know why? Because we don't have to go lowbrow. We don't we don't have to to just use gutter language. We don't have to do those things. And here's what was fascinating: before that class was over, there were people coming to us just wanting to hang out because they started realizing something. There's different about there's something different about you people. You see, there ought to be joy. Joy is always on the other side of obedience. You don't believe me? Look what happens. Jesus loved to party and be at parties. One of his first miracles was at this wedding in a place called Cana. And it says this uh, about, that, that, about that. It says, And on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he says. So Jesus goes to this wedding. And you got to realize weddings lasted for days and days and days. The banquet lasted. The food kept flowing. And what they would typically do is they would bring out the good wine first. And then as people got a little bit tipsy, they would bring out the worst stuff. And Jesus' mother knows this family's going to absolutely be embarrassed with all their guests if something doesn't take place. So he says, Jesus, get involved. He's like, what are you doing out me? I'm, I don't want to do this yet. But he, she looks at the servants and says to them, do whatever he says. See, that's what obedience is. It's doing whatever he says. And then notice the result. It says, and now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20, 30 gallons. It was the Tupperware of the day, just these big plain stone pots. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now that had become wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. I mean, this is embarrassing. This is a problem for this family. You know, normally... You know, they bring out the cheap stuff. They bring out the Mad Dog 2020, the Boone Strawberry Hill. If you catch those references, that means you have a testimony. No judgment here. Amen. Okay, cool. But here's the thing about it. Biblical Christianity is not about just sin management and avoidance. Biblical Christianity is about enjoying God. 
You see, I can tell you right now, where obedience increases, joy increases. Why? Because your enjoyment of God increases. If you don't enjoy God, let me just tell you something, sin will abound in you. If you don't love Him, if, if you don't have a, a passion for what He's about, I'm just going to tell you, your Christianity is always going to be lacking. And you're going to think this, well, you know, because I'm saved, God forgives me. And so sin for you will become optional. Well, you know, you know, if it works out and I don't get caught and maybe I'll do it, it, it will become relative. Well, you know, I'm, you know, this is this is what this is person's doing. So what I'm going to do is not as bad as that person. So you know, I'm I'm, I'm okay. Or, or or it'll it'll simply uh, become for you a, a a possibility. And the truth of the matter is this: if you if you understand obedience, and you understand how it's linked to joy, then Psalms 119, 159 will be true for you. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Don't you understand that the reason so many people in this world don't experience joy is because they don't practice obedience. They don't do the hard right thing. Joy is always found on the other side of the hard right thing. You see, joy to the world. Joy is always found on the other side of the hard right thing. But here's the second thing. Joy to the world because joy is found in participation. Notice what it says, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Down in verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, here, here's, the, here's the key to this. They participated. It's not just what you hear. It's also what you see or experience. See, there's a lot of people who live on secondhand faith. They live on the faith of the preacher. They live on the faith of their mama. They live on the, pre, the, the, the faith of your parents. No, 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 no. You see, if you're going to experience joy, it has to be an experience that you participate in. Um, the, the shepherds uh, go out and they, they share freely what they've seen and what they've heard. And here's the thing. If you have not, if you've just heard it, but you've not seen it or experienced it, you'll just keep it to yourself. You see, joy is always connected to something bigger, far bigger than your circumstances, far bigger than your person in general. And can I just tell you this? There's some people in the world that understand being connected to a bigger cause than some believers that do. I mean, for instance, I don't know how many of you uh, have a pair of Tom's shoes. Uh, I, I had a pair of Tom's shoes once. Uh, if you like Tom's, more power to you. I say this, it looks like slippers to me. I don't wear them much because uh, I don't like wearing my slippers outside. But here's the thing about Tom's shoes. Tom's shoes, their big promise is if you buy a pair of shoes, check it out, they're going to give a pair of shoes to some kid in the third world, right? Which I've been to the third world, and I'll just simply say this, I don't know that a pair of slippers are going to do it, all right? Most of the time, those kids need like some combat boots or something like that, but that's a whole other deal. Or Warby Parker. Uh, maybe you, anybody ever bought some glasses from Warby Parker? They, they, they have these like really hip um, kind of glasses, and the whole idea is that, you know, when they buy, you buy a pair of glasses, you get to send some of those to some impoverished kid in some nation, and there again, nothing wrong with that. I would just simply say, you know, for the money that you're going to spend on these Ray-Ban aviators um, that you're going to send to this kid in some desolate country, that kid would probably want, I don't know, indoor plumbing and maybe some food. And so you might want to think about that because the kid's going, you know, I'm hungry 
and I have to go to the bathroom outside, but I got these cool aviators. I don't think he's going to see the connect. The point is this. These marketers know that what sells products today is conscious consumerism. And I would tell you this, don't you realize that joy is found in being being a part of something that's far bigger than yourself. C.S. Lewis said it like this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drinks and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Some of you Live life. The reason you don't have joy is because the biggest thing you're living for is you. Um, joy is also not the incentive, but it's the byproduct of it, obedience. It, it's not the incentive. This time of year, we incentivize uh, people a lot. Um, we, we do it with our, with our kids. We do it with our animals. Uh, you're not an animal. But I have this dog that lives with me. Uh, I always say this dog lives with me. Uh, as many of you know, probably don't like me for this. I'm not necessarily an avid uh, animal lover, I'm an animal tolerator is what I am. Uh, the animal lives with me. Uh, my family's crazy about this animal. In fact, you'll see a picture of my family uh, for our Christmas card. You can see that right there. Notice all my family, well, including me, all of our hair is windblown. But anyway, and the dog is there. Uh, they actually commissioned a piece of art for my dog, uh, dressed up in real people clothes. Uh, it was a beautiful piece of art. A uh, young lady in our in our church made that. It's beautiful. It's great. Um, it's still a dog. But here's the thing about that dog. When I come home in the afternoons, that dog, he starts wagging his tail. He meets me at the door. He's wagging his tail, and he greets me. You know why he greets me? Because a lot of times I will give him a treat. That is why he, he, that is why he likes me. He doesn't like me for my person. He doesn't like me. He likes me for the treat. Right? There's some of us that kind of, we kind of think about obedience as, well, if I do this, then God, you'll do that. Or this time of year, have you ever noticed the elf on the shelf? Oh, my word. The elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf. My kids have kind of outgrown elf on the shelf. Amen. Uh, but I will just simply say this. The elf on the shelf is all about keeping our kids' behavior under control this time of year. Yes. And so people work hard to put, their, put the elf around and one of the most terrifying things that can happen to a parent is it's like 2.30 in the morning and you forget to move the elf, right? I mean, it's, it's just, what are you going to do? But here's the thing about it. Uh, this is one of my favorite pictures of the elf, right? Where they take him hostage. That You should do that with your children. That would be awesome. Anyway, um, we incentivize proper behavior. Whenever, here's the thing about it. The joy that comes from obedience is the byproduct of doing it because we truly enjoy God. A number of years ago, I was uh, in New York City. I was in Union Square Park, and there was this kind of young kid. And he was, you know, he's a nice kid, and he had this booth out that said, Save the planet. And uh, so I kind of walked by, and he's like, Hey, sir, do you want to save the planet? And I'm like, Work on it every week, man. He's like, Oh, you recycle? Oh, man. So, like, I go, No, bro. I, I share Jesus with people. He's like, What? And I'm like, when you say save the planet, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, I'm talking about we have the ozone, you know, and we have water pollution. And, you know, he starts going through all this list of stuff. And I just looked at him and I said, hey, bro, you do know that one of these days this whole earth is going to burn up, right? Like God's going to just start over. You do know that, right? Huh? You see, this kid really wanted his life connected to something bigger. But the thing about it is this, this earth is going to burn up. And you realize that most of the things that we're striving for in our lives 
are, are going to, when you die, you're not taking them with you. And yet we, we find our significance in that because the danger is this. You'll realize your greatest dreams here on planet Earth. God never wanted you. He wants your highest and greatest joys to be in things that are eternal that are going to translate with you. You see, there's a warning I'd give you. It's this. If you don't have joy, you can't endure your worst day. If you don't have joy, if you don't experience this joy that is found in obedience that you experience firsthand, then listen to me, you're going to struggle on your worst day. Because when the doctor comes in and says you have cancer, or people slander you, or some sort of horrible thing happens to you, maybe there's some kind of thing in, in, uh, that, that occurs in your life that was beyond your control, something somebody did to you, you were hurt in some way. If you don't have joy, listen to me. You're never going to be able to overcome your worst day. You know, Paul, Paul had the secret. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he he's writes in prison uh, to a group of, called the Philippians, and he's reading the whole book's about joy. And he says, some indeed preach Christ out of rivalry, envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Paul's in prison. There's people who are taking shots at him while he's in prison. He says, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I mean, this guy's already in prison. There's people trying to kick him while he's down. It happens in the world, doesn't it? He says, but in verse 18, this is huge. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The only way you're going to get through your hardest day in life is when you figure out what your only that is. Only that. And Paul's only that was connected to someone, God, Christ, the kingdom, bigger than himself. And until you get that figured out, I'm just going to tell you, friend, you're going to continue to, to live small. You're going to continue to maybe at times have moments of happiness, but never moments of pure joy. Third and final way that we unlock joy, because say it with me, joy to the world. Say it one more time. Joy to the world is this, joy is found in expectation. There's this great little verse there tucked away in verse 19, and all through the Gospels you'll find verses that are similar to this, and it, and it speaks of Mary. And it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And we see this true at the nativity. You'll find this phrase kind of peppered all throughout these different accounts. And I, and I imagine that she did. She pondered on these things. And because you got to realize Mary was, was a chosen young lady. I mean, of all the, the women who've lived on planet Earth, God chose her. And so she's a young lady who understood the promise of God, the prophecies of God. She understood what the Messiah was going to do. She understood that, that he was going to come to the earth and he was going to be born and, and he was going to grow up and he was going to be a substitutional atonement uh, for the people's sins of the world. But she also understood there was something even greater. And, and, and I would ask you, do you understand that there is something greater uh, you know, we don't talk about heaven very much, do we? In, in fact, I would just say to you that, that we, we miss it as believers many times because we, we live with low expectation. Because I think sometimes we get just like people in this world. We just start thinking this is the best it can ever be. And yet, don't you understand that Jesus came first as, a, as an innocent 
baby, a suffering servant. But the next time he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. And it reminds me that, that you and I, are, we have so much to look forward to. I, I don't care how depressed or beat down your life is or how you sort of thought life was going to end up for you and now it's altogether different. I want you to understand that there's this place called heaven that we're going to go to and it's going to be incredible. You know, you say, well, you know, I, I just want a little bit longer. I want to get married. I want you to know some heaven's better. Well, you know, I just haven't really landed that job yet. I just, uh, one of these days, I, heaven's better. Uh, well, you know, I just when I reach some of these kind of these, some of these personal goals, you know, I just want to be the best version of myself. Hey, man, heaven is better. I love what it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those, basically those who have died, that you don't grieve uh, as others do not have hope. Uh, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, I want to remind you of something. With great expectation, you and I, this ought to bring us joy in knowing that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. You know, uh, it, it was, it's been said by uh, a man named Josh McDowell that Jesus was either a liar uh, a lunatic or he was Lord. Either somehow he pulled off the greatest ruse in all of human history. He's a, he was a liar or he was a lunatic. He was just a madman who got other crazy people to follow him. Or truly he is Lord. And whenever you die, and whenever you come back from the grave, you prove that you are God. And I want you to know that that, in, that little baby in the manger that at Christmas, one of these days, he's going to break open the skies and he's going and, and, and to come back as a conquering king. And I say that to you because I... Jesus' death and buried resurrection, it, it truly does settle the, the question, who is God? I remember I was talking to a man one time. We were talking about what he believed in the afterlife, and he said to me, well, you know, I just I believe in reincarnation, to which I said, welcome back. All right? I mean, because, I mean, if you believe in reincarnation, then, I mean, you know, you've been here before. And I'm like, you know, man, uh, there's more to it. Jesus really is who he says. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And notice the second thing, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back because it says, For we declare by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will not precede those uh, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll always be with the Lord. You know what he's referring to there? He's talking about an event called the rapture. See, there, when you die... Right now, if you were to die right now before the second coming of Christ, you would, you would go to heaven to be absent from the bodies, to be present for the Lord. But you would, have, you would not have your, your ultimately glorified body. That happens whenever you and I right, experience this moment with Christ, when the dead in Christ rise first. So cemeteries that are places that are pretty quiet right now, whenever Jesus comes back, boom, they're going to be places of incredible activity. It says the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us will meet the Lord in the air, and we'll receive that once for all final glorified body. And don't you realize that that could happen at any point in time right now? Can friend, let me tell you something. The expectation of Jesus coming back ought to make our hearts well up with joy because here's the last thing. It says this in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is encouraging your greatest cheerleader, your greatest fan is Christ himself. And yet I wonder if you know him. You know, it's fascinating to me that of all the people that the first, the first um, introduction to God 
would be to shepherds. Do you realize that before Christ came to the planet, that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 10, we see that the presence of God was eradicated from the planet. 600 years, 600 years, the presence of God was off the planet. Do you know what hell on earth will be like one day when the Holy Spirit, when the church is raptured, when the Holy Spirit is taken off the planet and now evil has the ability to run unchecked? That's what it was like before Jesus came back to the planet. We think that we live in horrible times and times of depravity. I want you to understand something. We have nothing on those 600 years when the Spirit of God was not on the planet to restrain men. And yet, on that night, 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, it was shepherds that God chose to introduce, reintroduce Himself to. Shepherds who were in that day and time the lowest of the low in that culture. Shepherds who were one rung above criminals. Shepherds whose testimonies would not even be entered into a court of law because they wouldn't be looked upon as valid. And yet it was shepherds that Jesus' birth was first made known to. You know what that tells me? It tells me that this joy is for all people, like the angel said, and it's for you. You, friend, may be watching this and you've been away from God for a long, long time. I want you to know something. Joy to the world because Christ is near. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would love for you to reach out to us. Uh, if you watch this at some other time, you can email us at info at fbw.church. If you're on one of our online platforms, one of our hosts would love to help counsel with you. Friend, this is the season of joy. Joy is on the other side of the hard, right thing. Joy is in your participation in obedience. And joy is found in the expectation that there's something better. There's something far greater than we've ever known coming in the future. Hey, Merry Christmas. I want to speak a blessing over you. Father, I pray as we depart that you would let joy permeate the lives of these viewers, that wherever they may be, that this Christmas joy would astound and overwhelm them, that their lives would be about a winsomeness that comes through knowing and experiencing you personally. May we take your message, just like those shepherds, into the world today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you soon.